It's Thursday, October 24th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Fool.com, Matt Kopenheffer, and St. Louis Cardinals fan, David Hansen. <laughs> just in case any of our listeners think that yesterday, just because we, by sheer coincidence, had nothing but Red Sox fans in the studio, I wanted to make sure... You know, uh, it's equal opportunity here at the Fool. We so. appreciate it. <laughs> we Hopefully, tonight will be a little. Better. How are you doing after Game One? It was a rough game. Wow, that was <laughs> off the first inning. It Didn't was a weird the game. first inning. It was a weird game. Not good. Uh, well, you know, uh, again, different perspectives. You know, as we say, it, it takes uh, differing opinions to make a market. And in this case, differing opinions on how game <laughs> one went. Um, because we got the banking guys, because we have the stars of the uh, Where the Money Is <laughs> podcast. And if you're not listening on iTunes or on Stitcher, why not? I mean, it just, that's, that's what I was thinking. Why not? why not? I mean, just add this to your daily routine uh, Where the Money Is, available on iTunes and Stitcher. Uh, and if you want to watch the video show, it's on Roku. But we are going to talk banking because there's a lot going on in the banking world. Um, we're also going to talk about, uh, frankly, one of the more colorful investors in the world, Carl Icahn, and all that's going on with him. Um, let's start with the banks, though, because a jury has found Bank of America libel of having sold defective mortgages. And this goes back, once again, to the countrywide acquisition. Countrywide, maybe the worst acquisition of all time. I, I, you know, I shouldn't say the worst acquisition of all time, because certainly in technology, we've seen acquisitions that haven't worked out. But in terms of expense, this is just – there's almost n- no cap to how much this – Acquisition has cost Bank of America. It's amazing. I, I think you were right the first time. I, I think it would be really hard to find another acquisition that, that was, was this bad. bad. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This is it is truly the gift that just keeps on giving. In, in this case, this was some. I'd like to say some creative maneuvering by the prosecutors. Uh, they're using a uh, an older an older regulatory framework, uh, FERIA, which allows. Uh, a longer statute of limitations, so it gives them 10 years to go after the bank. And, and the idea is that they're supposed to be going after uh, fraud against uh, a, a, a government-backed, a federally-backed institution. Now, in this case, uh, Fran- Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac uh, are, are not, were not insured by the government, uh, nor was country, uh, Countrywide. Well, Countrywide isn't the... the um, aggrieved here. Right. But Bank of America is. So they're saying that Bank of America hurt itself. <laughs> and that's where this lawsuit stems from, which is really pretty interesting when you think about it. Um, and so I think that this is a little bit worrisome, not as much for Bank of America. It obviously is a, a little bit. The, the, the top end of the penalty the government is looking for is almost $900 million. Right. It's a lot of money. I would like to see $900 million in my lifetime. But in this day and age of big banking penalties. It doesn't sound like that much. But this could be used as a template uh, by the government to go after other banks and lengthen that amount of time that they have to go after them. Ten years is a is a good deal of time and right. a lot of time to collect some evidence. Are you worried if you're a Bank of America shareholder? It seems like, again, going back to Countrywide and what it has cost that uh, Bank of America – this is a drop in the bucket. This seems like, oh, well, that's all it's going to cost us compared to the, what, ten, what is the estimate now with what Countrywide has has cost Bank of America? Is it somewhere north of $40 billion? I think it is, yeah, between 40 and $50 billion. <laughs> And that's not including kind of the stuff that's not quantifiable, you know, just the, the reputational impacts of all of this. But 
as I'm not a shareholder, I know Matt is a shareholder, so if he has a differing opinion, he, he can <laughs> say so. But I don't think this is a reason to be concerned if you're a shareholder. Like he said, $900 million, that's a drop in the bucket for Bank of America. It doesn't look good that they were convicted of fraud here, but this was civil fraud. There's a difference between civil fraud and criminal fraud. And right. Matt and I were talking about this yesterday because I'm not a lawyer. He's not a lawyer. Uh, we were kind of saying, well, why is this not a big deal and why is criminal fraud a really big deal? Because if you're classified as a criminal organization or you commit a criminal act, that could be a big deal. Clients might have to pull their business from you. So civil fraud doesn't look good in the headlines, but really not that big of a deal. Who is their lawyer? Because Saul Goodman probably would have probably would have helped. Yeah, big time. Yeah. Saul, Saul Goodman would have been all Brian, over Brian this. Brian Moynihan. Better all, call Saul. All over this. You know, at, at, at this point, I almost feel like Bank of America, there's still plenty of people that, that hate Bank of America, as David and I see on a daily basis in our, our coverage. But it's almost like that mean dog that's now been kicked just one too many times, whereas when, you know, when it's biting you, you're like, this is a terrible, terrible dog. Now you're just kind of like, oh, I, I feel a little bit sorry over there. <laughs> and, and with Brian Moynihan at, at the head, I mean, he's a, he's a very... Compared to Jamie Dimon, who we're about to talk about yeah. a little bit, uh, much more soft-spoken, uh, way more reserved. So you're kind of like, oh, Brian, I feel so bad for you. I, I don't know what he's making, but I don't feel that bad. <laughs> I, I don't. <laughs> it's, um, in it's in the millions. Where, where are speaking of Jamie Dimon? Where are we now with J.P. Morgan and this uh, reportedly thirteen billion dollar hit that the uh, the bank is going to take is is that is it close to being over? I, I'm I'm not a shareholder, but just as someone who looks at the financial news every day, I, I I'm I'm starting to view it the way I viewed the government shutdown, where it's like, oh, is this still going on? Just wrap this up and and let's move on to something else here. Where are we now? Getting getting close, getting close. I mean, the the payout, the thirteen billion dollar payout, is getting close. But what's more worrisome is that the the criminal charges, what sort of what David was just talking about, that that could be wrapped into to all of this uh, potential uh, uh, actual cr- criminal fraud charges may not be wrapped up in this, and that's that's still ongoing. And you have various organizations, uh, government organizations, still investigating that. So that's something for investors to still worry about. And now you have this uh, $6 billion or so uh, private investor settlement that, that, needs to, that needs to be finalized with J.P. Morgan. And that's – it's not a – What is that one? How is that – So why, why is that carved out from the $13 billion? Because what, what you basically have here is, is on the one hand, you're selling uh, mortgage-backed securities to uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and government entities. And on the other hand, you have uh, selling into private, uh, private investors. And we saw a similar settlement with Bank of America. It was an $8.5 billion settlement and involved folks like Goldman Sachs, AIG, who bought these securities, right. bought these mortgages, and are now saying, eh, they weren't what we thought they were. You told us they were. Um, so this would be in a similar, a similar size to Bank of America's, but a little bit smaller if we can believe the, the numbers uh, that are currently out there. Um, but yeah, a lot going on at, at uh, J.P. Morgan and Maybe a little something more now. Uh, there's a report in the, the New York Times today in Dealbook about uh, the Madoff case and, uh, and what's going on there. Yeah, I think we're probably in the – go back to the baseball. I think we're probably in the top of the seventh here in, in terms of when this finally ends. I think that's optimistic. That's optimistic? Well, I'm going to be optimistic. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful for game two. I'm hopeful for J.P. Morgan. <laughs> um, so I'm going to go top of seven. Uh, there's still going to be some things that, that crop up. 
But over time, I don't think any of this is really going to impact the bank financially. I think the fines will be ongoing. They're going to hurt. But over the long run, it's really not going to hurt the strength of the bank unless there is that criminal charge, which personally, I'm not a lawyer again, but I think that's pretty unlikely that they get charged criminally and convicted criminally. That would be the biggest thing, but I don't really see that happening. Can I just suggest that in, instead of these fines, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not saying that the fines are necessarily a, a bad idea, but the more I watch, and now it's been decades of watching people on Wall Street, executives of one stripe or another, whether it's from banks or elsewhere, where the institutions are accused and in some cases convicted of some level of fraud, whether it's civil or criminal, and I just step back and go, can somebody go to jail? Can we, can we send one white-collar criminal to a non-white-collar prison? Because, And I could be wrong here, but I think it's worth testing this theory of mine. I think it would actually prevent more of it. I think if you sent the average white-collar banker from whatever Wall Street company, you know, firm, bank, whatever, you send them to a, just a good old-fashioned prison, and I think stuff like, – like when I hear you say, Matt, that – the mortgage-backed securities were being sold from one bank to another, and oh, by the way, they were, they weren't what you told us they were. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Allegedly, how, allegedly, allegedly. I, you know, I, how do these people sleep at night? Well, <laughs> you have to remember the, with fraud too. I think there has to be what an intent to deceive. And the Bank of America thing. This was about a program that Countrywide did. Two hundred people were involved. I mean, yes, they were convicted, and I realized that was the case, but. If 200 people know about it and they're openly talking about the program, is that really fraud and hidden? I, I know is I know is the decision, but you see what I'm saying. In hindsight, it's easy to say, "Oh, you 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 lied to us. This is this didn't turn out the way you wanted it to." But if we go back and put ourselves in in the time of that stuff happening, it's it's not as clear, in my opinion. Yeah, it, it looks it looks a lot more stark today because we're on the opposite side right. of the of the financial crisis, and so it, some of it too, you have to try to suss out what of this was actual actual fraud and intended, and what of this was just the result of of over exuberance and a an overinflated housing market and and mortgage backed security market, which then cratered, um, and. I don't know. I, I, I think that there is something, some amount of this that has to lie with the folks that were buying this. So with Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, with, in the case of the private investors, with Goldman Sachs, with AIG saying, hmm, maybe we should look at what it is that we're buying. I mean, when I go to the grocery store and I'm going to buy uh, a red pepper, it's it's not just like blindly throwing stuff in my. It's like I, I I spend a couple I spend a couple seconds sitting there looking at this pepper. Is this going to be delicious? Is this rotten? And and I I, I feel like in a lot of cases there wasn't even that much examination of hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars, tens of hundreds of millions of dollars worth of mortgages and mortgage backed securities. Well, and you just tapped into something that um, that never shows up on any balance sheet. Peppers. Uh, <laughs> well, maybe at Whole Foods. Foods. <laughs> um, uh, and that's culture. And if, if you've ever read a book about the culture at Wall Street firms, I cannot recommend highly enough Michael Lewis's uh, book, the, the Big Short, which is about the financial crisis. But you see what the culture is like at those firms, and, the, and in some cases, the herd mentality, mm-hmm. where there is no incentive to be the one person in the room who stands up and bangs the table and says, I think these mortgage-backed securities are crap. Um, 
So anyway, it's uh, it, it is interesting to see it all. But but out. even in that, it's it, is is it fraud or is it just a bunch of people deceiving themselves? Yeah. Um, but but I'm just I'm curious what's next at J.P. Morgan. Is it is it going to be gun running? I mean, are we going to find out that Jamie Dimon is Heisenberg? That's that's what I'm. <laughs> That is that is the next thing that I'm waiting for. Jamie Dimon is Heisenberg. There is a massive uh, methamphetamine if, operation. If he uh, if he shaves that gorgeous hair of his, then we're that that is going to be a red flag. I, I'm you, well. I'm selling. I'm, I'm selling all <laughs> of them. If right that hair now. comes off. Um, Carl Icahn in the news recently, the billionaire investor um, who, frankly, has had, had you know like a lot of investors a mixed track record, but a pretty good run of late, certainly with his stake in Netflix. Um, his firm bought shares of Netflix at an average price of fifty-eight dollars a share. Um, now trading somewhere north of three twenty-five, I believe. I didn't look at it this morning, so so that's worked out pretty well. But you guys, um, uh, Matt, you pointed out to me this morning. There's there's some behind-the-scenes drama going on um, at his firm with uh, a surprising uh, conflict with his son. Uh-huh. What is what is going on between Carl Icahn and his son uh, that? I don't know. This this is bizarre to me. Not that not that children never disagree with their uh, fathers. I certainly know about that. But I don't know. Anyway, well, it's essentially that that Icon, the the elder, uh, decided to sell off about half of the Netflix stake, and right. his his son, a, a relative young buck at, at thirty four years old, uh, said, I, "I think you're wrong." And and they've got this bet going now. And if the elder uh, was was wrong about this sell decision? Then there's some there's some complicated uh, uh, math function behind this. But he'll essentially give his son and his son's partner uh, the difference uh, to put into their to put into a new fund that that they're going to run. So this could be. I mean, this this was a giant stake, and so half of that oh, yeah. is still a giant stake. So you're talking about potentially millions, tens of millions, uh, maybe even into the hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah, that, just to uh, be clear. I, Carl Icahn booked a profit of eight hundred million dollars right. off right. of his his investment in Netflix. Uh, I don't know Brett Icahn, his son, but Dad made a really good call on when to buy, and it appears that he made a good call on when to sell. Particularly when, as we've talked about before, maybe the one person, or certainly the most visible person, who is waving the caution flag on Netflix is the CEO. Reed Hastings on the conference call the other day was the one saying, "Slow down, everybody, calm down." <laughs> I mean, what? Uh, well, when you're the, when you're the CEO of a of a company like that, you 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 don't necessarily want to see that because you have a a much higher hurdle to overcome in the future. Things calm down a little bit, yeah. Then then you have a, a smoother track. So it's in it's in Hastings' best interest to have the uh, the stock move in a more controlled fashion. We'll say. Seems like a pretty good deal for the son. I mean, he if he's. I was just going to say, if he's right, if he's right, he gets the money. (laughs) If he's wrong, Carl just says, "That's why you listen (laughs) to that." That's what I was going to say. I didn't. I didn't see anything on the on the other hand. If if Carl was right and his son was wrong, maybe it's something like cleaning the garage. (laughs) I I think if I were Carl, I I would. I would uh, essentially. I think if you're the son, you have to hand over veto power. If you're not handing over dollars, then you have to say, okay, for the next 12 months, you get complete veto power over any investment decision I make. Uh, Before we get to our final stories, I should mention – I've mentioned before we are looking for summer interns for 2014. Uh, But even sooner than that, uh, winter break 
coming up in January, uh, we have a new opportunity for women in college or grad school. Uh, it is a new program that we are calling Women Investing Foolishly. It is January 6th through the 8th. You can find all the details uh, at our culture blog, which is just culture.fool.com, culture.fool.com. But anyway, it's a, it's a, it's a three-day program. We're going to have investment classes uh, taught by our analysts, a lunch hosted by Luann Lofton, our colleague, uh, best-selling author of the book, Warren Buffett, Invest Like a Girl. Um, and the kicker, guys, I don't know if you saw this, we're paying all the travel expenses. So five women are going to be selected uh, from a pool of applicants. You can apply. Just go to culture.fool.com. Uh, if you're a young woman in college or grad school or you know a woman in college or grad school, uh, send them that way, paying all travel expenses. I'm a little biased, but you cannot find a better place to work. Just, I'm just going to put that out there. Yeah, this is this is uh, plus travel expenses. I, is, and I've it. said this before. I think I think we treat our summer interns very well. I think they get a lot out of it. And certainly, I mean, we've we've had summer interns who have stayed on to work here, both in our investment group, but also up in our tech group, all that sort of thing. Um, so so it's it's definitely a good deal. Uh, but let's be clear. Uh, with our summer interns, we we sometimes have fun at their expense. <laughs> there are things that we do. They're fun. It's all in good fun. But there are some things that we make our summer interns do where where it's just like, yeah, this is yeah, this is part of the gig. Whereas this program in January, uh, women investing foolishly, this is uh, this is an amazing program. All that all, our, our, all fun. Yeah, this is this is a great program we put together. So so definitely check that out. Um, the leaders of the EU are meeting today uh, for a two day meeting. Uh, so maybe a good time to ask, are we, and by we I mean the United States government, are we tapping Angela Merkel's phone? Because, I, think, I think probably. I think probably because, because why, why wouldn't we? Because according to reports, um, it sounds like we may have been. <laughs> um, a statement from Jay Carney, uh, White House spokesman. Uh, let me get it here from the story that was in Reuters where he said um, – um, uh, quote, uh, the United States is not monitoring and will not monitor the chancellor's communications, which, as the Reuters reporter points out, that leaves open the possibility that this has happened in the past. What, <laughs> what is the German chancellor involved in that would lead anyone in our intelligence community to go into the room of their boss and say, X, Y, and Z, and because of X, Y, and Z, I recommend we start tapping Angela Merkel's phone? Cell phone. Right, so I, I guess her, her her iPhone. I I I have my notes here, and and the one note I have for for, for this is is really, really <laughs> is this is this really a good idea? Is this really what we need to be doing at, at a time when we're we're just getting past uh, government shutdown and almost defaulting on our debt? In the meantime. We are potentially tapping Angela Merkel's phone. And in terms of the European economy, she's really the one who has gotten a lot of credit for uh, being steadfast in a, a really bad economic storm. Well, I'm hoping that we weren't tapping to, to get thoughts on how to deal with an economy because that's clearly not been working out there. I think I know what happened. Okay. Jason Bourne. He's real. This is, this is real stuff. <laughs> that's the only explanation. Born Ultimatum, you thought it was a movie? That was a documentary. This is a real-life scenario. He's <laughs> tapping Merkel's phone. It's all that's, – that's what's going on here. Trust uh, me. And this is the real Jason Bourne sitting right next to me. You uh, never know. You know, one of our longtime listeners, Bob Jeffers, uh, visited the office yesterday. He actually works out in Hollywood, uh, uh, works in the movie industry. So um, 
So yeah, I'm guessing he's now, as he's listening to this, is on the phone to one of his one of his colleagues uh, at one of the studios, saying, "I have an idea." Da- David go. David Hansen for the leading role. I'm available. Uh, really, leading role? He 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 looks like a uh, Jason Bourne type, doesn't he? he Best compliment got- I've ever got, right <laughs> there. Wow. <laughs> He looks the part, and yet I have not seen David Hansen in action. I haven't. I haven't seen David Hansen kicking a lot of ass. I've seen him <laughs> jump from from the top of one building to the other okay. uh, from a standing start. Yes. Okay, yeah. done. Um, just to to close, uh, we had talked earlier in the week uh, about pumpkin beer. It, it was actually yesterday we were talking about pumpkin beer. Got some comments from our listeners who seem to take issue with recommendations. Uh, on seasonal beers that were being shared by Matt Argusinger and Jason Moser. So, David Hansen, would you like to offer up a, a suggestion for a seasonal beer? It doesn't have to be pumpkin. It could be something you're looking forward to around the holidays, but just a, a beer recommendation for our listeners out there. Around the holidays, also good in the summer, springtime, any time of year. Bush Light. <laughs> I'm a value investor at heart, value beer drinker. Bush Light, it's not actually not that bad, and I cannot wait to see the comments that you actually, get Actually that. not that bad. Hey, uh, hey Bush it, Stadium. As I've, mentioned, as I've mentioned before, you can follow Market Foolery on Twitter, but you can also follow David Hansen on Twitter. TMF Hurricane is his... <laughs> Screen name on Twitter. Go ahead and direct your comments to TMF Hurricane uh, Marine Corps Marathon this weekend. Matt Copenheffer, are you running? I was. I was not on top of that uh, sign up. It, the sign up fills in about a couple hours. Three hours. Yeah. yeah. So I will not be running it next year. Next, next year. year I will be. I will be running the 10K. Oh, so very uh, fun. Thank you. Hopefully it'll go better than last year where, where we had a bomb scare in the middle of the race. So, uh, that's, so that's, yeah, between, that doesn't lead to a PR. Yeah, it or, or it does. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. This was this – was, I, I mean just – I'll take a couple seconds. Um, this was uh, – you've run the, Mar- the Marine Corps Marathon before? No? Never have. Okay. So the, the 10K and the marathon end the same, which is they end – uh, the last mile goes in front of the Pentagon, and then you go up the hill, um, and you end at the Iwo Jima Memorial. Up a hill before an end is never a good thing right, to race. right. But the Iwo Jima Memorial, you know, uh, very inspirational. So, uh, I'm, so it's last year, and I'm I'm coming up this hill, and I, I'm about to enter the final mile, and the Pentagon is in sights, and there's just a wall of people, and I think, well, that's something's wrong, and then uh, I see just beyond the wall of people. Uh, a military helicopter, which has landed on the road, and come to find out afterwards that uh, um, some prankster duct taped some bricks together, taped a wire on top of it, and then just dropped that in front of the Pentagon. Why you would do that? It's not much of a prank. Yeah, it's a terrible prank. And why you would do that on a day where there is uh, heightened military presence? I don't know. But anyway, so that's, the, not, that's not a prank. That's a crime. Pretty sure that's a crime. Um, so, yeah, that uh, that that held up the race for a few minutes. So uh, between that and the, the incident in Boston, which you were a part of. Yes. Indeed. I'm just hoping for a smooth day on, on Sunday. Quiet. Anyway, David Hansen, Matt Copenheffer. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Ann Henry. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday. Monday.